Welcome to the Learning Capacity Podcast. You're with Colin Klupik. In this interview, we talk with speech-language pathologist Devon Barnes about auditory processing disorder. We ask her what it actually is and how to deal with it in the home situation. Devon Barnes, welcome. Thanks very much. We're talking about auditory processing mm-hmm. disorder. One of my favourite things to talk about. Can you give us a very simple definition? Auditory processing it in itself refers to what we do with what we hear. So it is separate from actual just hearing. We can refer to hearing as hearing acuity. What's the very softest sound that I can hear across a range of frequencies. When you go to an audiologist and have your hearing tested, they're testing your hearing acuity. So are we talking also about loudness? Absolutely. So not just frequencies low and high, but exactly how That's loud exactly they are. That's exactly right. And, and what is the softest sound we can hear is our hearing acuity. Right. Whereas auditory processing is then, what does the brain do with what it hears? Particularly in relation to distinguishing speech. So you've defined what auditory processing actually is, but we're talking about auditory processing disorder. So what goes wrong? So auditory processing disorder in its simplest form is when something is wrong with what we do with what we hear. So it could be that we have difficulty perceiving speech when there's background noise, or we'd have difficulty locating where a sound is coming from or we have difficulty distinguishing between similar sounding speech sounds. So auditory processing disorder covers a variety of different symptoms, if you like. So the acuity can actually still be okay? The acuity can be absolutely fine. And in fact, we only um, describe auditory processing disorder when we know that the person has um, perfect hearing, because otherwise we're looking at a hearing loss and you can still have similar symptoms, but they would not be classified as an auditory processing disorder, but those symptoms would relate to having a hearing loss. Is it a common problem? I think it's more common than acknowledged, particularly in schools, because it's a relatively new disorder that's been described over the last 20 years. One of the problems is that even amongst the academics, there's no common agreement uh, regarding exactly what is auditory processing disorder. So a little bit of a mystery then. Is there any uh, uh, particular research coming out at the moment which is helping us with that understanding? There's a great deal of research um, into this disorder uh, and I think that is helping to clarify what we actually mean by auditory processing disorder. But it's as, as a field, it's really still in its infancy compared to things like dyslexia and other and ADHD, which have been well described for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years, whereas auditory processing disorder has really only come on our radar in the form that we're developing in the last 20 years. Devon, looking at auditory processing disorder and the home situation now, what are the early signs that uh, your child might actually have auditory processing disorder? Well, I know a lot of parents complain that their children don't listen or that they ignore them. Now, for our child with auditory processing disorder, it really could be that they 
in essence, don't hear what the parent says. Or it's not that they don't hear, it was that they don't process the instruction um, as they should so that then they don't respond in an appropriate way. I guess it would be very easy for a parent to say, my child doesn't listen to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, similar to the classroom situation, maybe we need to give them a break and allow a longer time for them to respond. Yes, well, if the parent is aware that the child has an auditory processing disorder, then that's a very good strategy. But most, many parents will just complain that their child doesn't listen or doesn't respond, not being aware that the child actually has a problem. And that can, you know, end up in a distressing situation for both the child and the parent because the parent might be reprimanding the child when in fact the child is doing the best they can. Do you find that sometimes children do unpredictable things because perhaps they only heard half the instruction? Indeed they do. For example, a parent might say to a child, please don't put your shoes on the table, but the child only hears, put your shoes on the table. And so the child will do exactly the opposite to what the parents requested because they've misinterpreted that instruction. So it might actually be really difficult to diagnose the problem or think that there's a problem because you're too busy just getting frustrated about the fact that the child's exactly. done something irregular or unpredictable. That's right. Do we, do we find some of the symptoms are the same as in the classroom, like uh, background noise in the home? Yes, that very much can be a problem. And we know these days lots of families have their television on all day. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Is the television in the background a problem? Yes, it is, particularly for our child with auditory processing because if, you know, mum's asking them to go to their room and, you know, do something specific or collect something from their room and the television's on, they're not going to be able to uh, process what the mothers or the parents ask them to do. I know in one of our earlier discussions you mentioned that uh, children sometimes cover their ears when they're being shouted at. Um, is, is that actually causing them discomfort? Does it cause them pain or is it just a, a frustration reaction? I think it's not so much a physical uh, symptom. It's more a psychological symptom because the sound really bothers them. And it's really hard to tell in a young child if it does cause pain, but it's more that it's just distresses them. It's just irritating to the child, mm. and so they want to block out that back background noise. And I guess perhaps another source for irregular behaviour, if that was the case. Yes, yes. And it would be a red flag to a parent that if a child is constantly putting their hands over their ears, something's not right, and mm. they need to um, seek some professional advice about that. How would a parent know whether it was an auditory processing problem or a hearing acuity problem? Would they have any idea as to whether it was which one? I don't think so. So that's why it's really important, number one, is to get the hearing checked before we do anything else. Particularly for a child that's had a history of multiple ear infections, because we know that when the brain needs to be processing speech and hearing speech clearly to develop the auditory pathways, recurrent ear infections interrupt that process. So if a child has a history of recurrent ear infections, that's more likely, that child is more likely to possibly have an auditory processing Mm. disorder. When we think about all these symptoms combined, does that also sometimes uh, lead to memory loss? 
do, do children just forget what to do? do? Is it the do they just listen to so much and think I don't understand it? I'm just not going to do it, and then just forget. That happens at home a lot. I think that switching off behaviour, very similar to the classroom, that the capacity for the brain to hold on to what um, what a child hears is very much reduced when you have auditory processing. And so when the brain goes on overload, the child will just switch off and stop listening because they just can't process any more information. And, of course, the parent could see that as disobedience or, um, you know, being oppositional, whereas, in fact, the child just cannot take in any more information. Let's say that you didn't think that your child had any sort of auditory problem at all, yet they... uh didn't like going to school or they were hesitant about going to school, could that, could that be a, a signal that something's not right? Exactly. And so then a, a parent really needs to take action there and try and, you know, they might even start off with their GP. If a child's starting to become reluctant to go to school, well, we know that they're not happy at school and whatever's causing that distress needs to be investigated. Devon, we've established then perhaps that there's a problem with auditory processing at home. What can parents do to help? First and foremost, I think I would advise parents to have a lot of understanding and compassion so that it eliminates frustration for the child and also for the parent. So understanding that sometimes the child won't respond immediately or will respond inappropriately. So some simple things a parent can do is when they need the child to listen and follow an instruction, make sure they have the child's attention, have the child facing them, and always keep their instructions short. Don't give the child lots of things to do with one long instruction. And this refers back to what we were talking about before by giving them some space to answer or some space to respond to the instruction. Yes, yes. And don't get frustrated if they don't do the thing you've asked them to do immediately. And then you can even ask the child to um, say, now what does mummy want you to do? That's right, go and get your school bag from the laundry. And so check that the child has actually understood. Okay, so reinforcing mm-hmm. the fact that the instruction was... Understood. Cor- yeah, correctly That's understood. Right. Uh, okay, so one of the harder ones, what about the television? <laughs> do we turn it off? I think you do limit the amount of television that children are exposed to, particularly during the school week, because I think you know, it interferes with homework time and we know that they need a very quiet environment, so I'd definitely be advising limiting television uh, during the school week, particularly in the morning before school. I think that's a big trap to let children watch television before they go to school because I think they need that quiet time. They also need uh, a routine in the morning. So if the child has half a dozen things to do to get ready for school, rather than rely on a spoken instruction, a parent can actually have a chart with the visual representation of each task. So, you know, get up, go go to the bathroom, put my school uniform on, pack my bag... Do I have my lunchbox? Do I have my sports shoes? And actually have a picture of all those things. Mm. So, And then they can check those off each day. And so that makes those jobs get done with less distress. What about talking to the school? That's very important. So I think 
the maximum amount of communication parents can have with the school, the teacher, the special needs teacher, and any other professionals involved in the child's care. For example, the child may be also seeing a, a speech and language pathologist. And so the optimal outcomes will occur if there's maximum communication between the parent, the school, and any outside agency involved. If a child's receiving treatment and a parent is working with a speech-language pathologist and is talking to the school, uh, do we have any idea as to how long it takes to get any improvement? It's hard to say, but I would say that the better the communication and if we're all on the same page as we speak, the outcome for that child is going to be much improved. So you probably wouldn't want to just talk to the special needs teacher. You probably want to talk to all of the teachers, I would suspect. Yes, and particularly the classroom teacher and the special needs teacher and even the sports teacher, any, any, any teacher that child is interacting with. Is it a case where that particular student might have to seek special provisions at uh, exam time perhaps? Is, is it worth going down that path or can we work through that in the normal situation? I think the special provision issue... Uh, has to be made after the child's had some intervention for several years and to see where they're at after that intervention. But if they're still struggling, particularly with their, their literacy skills or taking in information, uh, you know, we need to consider those special provisions. If a parent had a suspicion that something was not quite right, how long would you let something like that go before you did something like make an assessment or have, have the child go through an assessment? I think as soon as you're aware that, that the child is struggling, you would hopefully want to make some approach to some professional to start the ball rolling, really. And the first person I would speak to is the teacher, because teachers know. I mean, teachers know very early on when a child has a difficulty. Experienced teachers will tell you, they can tell you in the first term of kindergarten if a child has an issue. Do you find that in, in all of the people that you've spoken to and met uh, who are involved with this problem over the years, is there a bit of a, a taboo about this? Do some people find this hard to talk about? I think there are some professionals who still like to see auditory processing as just part of the wider issue of, of attention deficit. But we do know that for those children with auditory processing, it is very much a problem related to perception of the speech signal, the auditory signal, mm. and it is distinct from attention deficit. Some children can have both difficulties, but it is very much a distinct problem with distinct uh, remediation strategies that are needed. So parents should waste no time? Absolutely. The best outcomes will come with early diagnosis and appropriate intervention. You've been listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFast Australia.